This is a QAMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute podcast. Bone marrow transplants and T-cell therapy continue to improve survival and remission rates in blood cancers. But the life-threatening complication of graft-versus-host disease continues to create barriers for their use. This immune response can affect major organs, but increasingly the effects on the central nervous system are being recognised but remain understudied. Rachel Adams from our Infection and Inflammation Lab wants to change that and help alleviate this debilitating effect. Hi, I'm Claire Blake and you're listening to Body Lab. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks very much for having me. It is really very exciting as a PhD student to have something published in Blood, which is a very prestigious journal in your blood cancer world. Yeah, absolutely. We were very thrilled with this outcome um, to sort of have really novel research in this space being published in what we sort of see as the gold standard for transplant research and to be recognised in that field is really exciting. We'll get to more about that in a minute, but a step back, uh, as soon as patients receive, this is a life-saving treatment, mm-hmm. as soon as the patients receive that, they then are prepared for GVHD, which is graft versus host disease. Can you just explain what that is? Yeah, of course. So uh, graft versus host disease is a condition that develops after what we call allogeneic bone marrow transplant. And so this type of transplant means that the donor cells have come from someone other than yourself. That typically means that they have genetic differences to you. And so when these donor cells come into the body, they recognize the recipient as foreign and they tend to mount an immune attack on the recipient's organs. This can range from being mild up to really severe in some patients. And it also can occur in both acute and chronic stages. So when we talk about the acute stage, we're often meaning in the first sort of days, weeks or early months post-transplant. And we are really interested in the chronic stage up to months or even years post-transplant. So it can really be quite pervasive through their life. It targets major organs like the skin, the liver. Again, with those sort of acute and chronic stages, you can get some differences in the organs that are being affected. So typically in the acute stages, you have a lot of gastrointestinal inflammation and that could be quite severe. As you progress into the chronic stage, we see a lot of issues with the skin and it can also sort of present in the liver as well. But now we're really coming to see that there are major effects on the brain and the central nervous system as a key target of chronic GVHD as well. Can you predict who will have these horrible side effects? It's really difficult and sometimes it will come down to certain factors uh, that are related to the transplant. So it can be your age post-transplant, the type of blood cancer that you've had, where the donor cells are coming from and who they're coming from. A lot of those things can really impact your development of GVHD or not and then also how severe it will be. But some of these sort of really late post-transplant complications that we're seeing, as we said, they're really understudied. And so we're sort of looking to see how can we understand those better and also how can we predict who's going to be developing those and hopefully prevent that. And I guess the reason, Rachel, they're understudied is because the priority is the life-saving effects. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you've got patients that are experiencing horrible skin lesions or really toxic inflammation in the gut, those are obviously going to be prioritized in order to save the life of the patient and prolong their survival. But it's really interesting. uh, There's a lot of research in GVHD and it's, it's a really, really popular research topic in terms of transplant research and looking at inflammation in this context. 
But because of all that research, a lot of these sort of peripheral manifestations that we see are now being treated much better in the clinic. There's a lot more options and there's better survival for patients. And I think that's why it's becoming a little bit clearer now that there are a lot of people surviving late post-transplant, but they're a very vulnerable population. They're very prone to getting infection and further inflammation. That's why we're seeing a lot of these patients coming out with neurocognitive deficits and problems with their brain function because we're seeing them survive so much later post-transplant. Ah, and you and your supervisor kept finding these pop up, these effects with GVHD on the central nervous system. It's not really been recognised. Mm, absolutely, yeah. There was a lot of sort of anecdotal discussion and comments from physicians and, and transplant scientists that there seem to be sort of effects on the brain and we can't quite understand why or can't quite pinpoint what the problem is there's patients experiencing mood changes so might that be depression or anxiety type symptoms there's patients who are having issues with fatigue and insomnia there's others who are having issues with concentration and memory overwhelmingly that sort of leads to an impaired quality of life and that's what we're seeing is that patients are having issues returning to any sense of normalcy post-transplant and so for that it might be returning to work might be something that is completely off the cards because they've got all of these issues that aren't really being recognized properly and then aren't being treated and so yeah overwhelmingly it seems that there's a lack of understanding of what's going on in this sort of neurospace and that's why we really need research on this topic and a little devastating too because all of these things could be put down to oh of course they've got depression they've got memory loss they've gone through blood cancer and now they have gvhd but it's really sad because the very time you need your mental health at its best to cope with all the physical side effects yeah it's it's really being detrimental yeah and and that's something that we're really passionate about reversing or, or trying to at least understand it in a way that we can treat the root cause i think for a long time yeah you're absolutely right it was just pushed aside firstly because you know there's life-threatening components of gvhd that need to be treated but also because it could just be easily explained by something else whether that be a side effect of some of the drugs that patients are given these are commonly immunosuppressive so a dampens the response of the immune system and these can all have effects on the brain and that that's well recognized in the literature a lot of these patients are experiencing chemotherapy drugs or radiation as part of their transplant regime and, and to help with treating the cancer again these are commonly seen to have effects on the brain and so it was understandable that people often just attributed uh, neurocognitive effects to these other conditions but it's really something that now we're seeing that inflammation is driving these neurocognitive changes. And, and that's something more broadly that is, is recognised is that inflammation can affect how the brain functions. Specifically in this context, it's really coming out that that's what's driving some of these changes in the brain. So what you've done is novel research in an area to change the acceptance of this as a target for GVHD. So tell us about your work. Okay, so our research is really focused on establishing that the brain is a target of chronic GVHD and that is really what we have been able to publish and we've been able to see now. And so what we're doing at the moment and doing in the future is using these really well-established and well-characterised models, so where we use transplant models in mice, and we're looking to really understand the biology that's driving these changes in the brain they quite faithfully recapitulate a lot of the biology that we see in patients in human testing. And these models are, are really important in being able to dissect out some of the mechanisms that are driving changes in the brain. 
What are some of the tests that you do on mice where you can have a look at their cognitive function? This would surprise a lot of people. They are really, really intelligent creatures and they have a lot of complex behaviours, cognitive and social. There are many, many tests that we can use. And so, for example, one of the tests that we use is one called active place avoidance. And so this is a, a particular task that tests the spatial learning and memory capacity of a mouse. And essentially it gets them to avoid the location of a certain zone in an arena by using markers on the wall to understand their location. This is really higher order thinking in a mouse and it actually really recapitulates some of the behaviours in humans where we use spatial learning and memory all the time, every day, without even really thinking about it. And so being able to identify behavioural differences in a mouse is really key to being able to understand that, yes, there is something that is changing the way their brain functions. And then that's an important readout for us as scientists to then understand, well, when we change something, when we give them a drug or when we try and reduce the inflammation, does that improve the behavioural readout? Can we actually improve their function? And I think that's something that's really, really key in this type of research where just understanding what's going on and just treating the inflammation with the brain is not quite enough. You really need to be able to return to proper function in order for it to have its most optimal effects. And in humans, I guess they were given antidepressants and all sorts of drugs that treat the symptoms, but you want to go further. Yeah, absolutely. I think for so many conditions of the brain, it's really coming out now with so all of the research and technologies that we can use that inflammation is a key driver of many, many neurocognitive and neurobiological diseases. And so just treating the symptoms may help short-term, at least for a patient, in trying to improve their quality of life. But if we really want to treat the problem, we have to understand what is the biology and what are the mechanisms. And then we can specifically target those in order to then restore sort of a baseline proper functioning in the brain. The beauty of this too is that you're using repurposed drugs, which means hopefully it'll be a shorter path to humans having access to your answers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a really important point. It can be a really, really long, difficult task to identify novel molecules and novel targets and then develop drugs against those. I think where this comes from is that inflammation is driven by key cell types and key signaling pathways that they use in order to affect things in the body. These types of inflammatory mediators are common across so many different types of diseases. So whether that be infection or inflammation or in our case, GBHD. And so what you can do is target a specific cell type. And then that drug can be used in other contexts to target that same cell type. Because say you think about a common immune cell called a macrophage. That's one of those ones that eats up debris and tries to, to clean things up and keep you safe from invading pathogens. This is a really key cell type that we've identified and there are so many drugs already that can target macrophages. And so we can try and implement those in our setting and see if they can have an effect in reducing the inflammation and then improving the brain function. You've already had some early results. Yeah, so we are working with some of these drugs that are in clinical trials for some of the peripheral manifestations of graft-versus-host disease, and we are seeing some interesting results coming out to see how they can affect the brain and at what stage post-transplant they're going to have their most important and best effects. So I think one of the major challenges to treating the brain, and this is something really unique that we're focusing on and also coming across in our research, is the blood-brain barrier. 
a barrier that exists comprised of certain types of membranes and cell types around the blood vessels in the brain. And this really protects the brain from invading pathogens and toxins and all that sort of thing to sort of help us maintain proper brain function. Because of this barrier, there can actually be a lot of challenges to getting drugs into the brain in order to treat any type of inflammation or disease. And so that's one of the things I'm really focusing on in my PhD is how is the blood-brain barrier affected post-transplant and how can we almost leverage that in a way to understand, yes, now is the right time that we can get those drugs into the brain and treat that inflammation. So that's one of the key points is we've been able to identify some changes in the blood-brain barrier both early post-transplant, which we would expect with irradiation and severe inflammation, but also later post-transplant to be able to tell us when we can properly treat. You've already come so far, changing the thinking, getting people to accept the CNS as a target for GVHD, and now you're heading down the path to make extraordinary changes. You're not short of challenges. I think there are a lot of challenges, obviously, in terms of the complexity of the disease and the fact that this is sort of some really early research. And so we're sort of asking our own questions and trying to figure things out, leveraging information that we know about inflammation, both in GVHD in the periphery, but also inflammation in other contexts in the brain. And we're using that to sort of really drive our research questions. And that's really what we have to focus on because it can be very easy to get caught up in, you know, the results of one experiment or the the outcome of one transplant. But we have to sort of think about it a little bit more holistically and and sort of understand where we are post-transplant, what are the challenges we're going to face at that time point, and what is the real crux of what we're trying to get to? What is the key outcome? Do we want to remove a cell population? Do we want to reduce inflammation in a certain part of the brain? They are key to really changing the way that the brain functions and getting it back to a normal and healthy state. If you could treat the GVHD in the central nervous system, then you would set that patient up for a much better recovery from the other peripheral effects of GVHD. Yeah, I think it's really important to recognise that this would be something that is very daunting and very difficult to understand. And when you're faced with all of these challenges with your health, maintaining proper mental health and trying to understand things and function properly it can be really challenging but also really important and so if we can get this recognized as as a genuine target and if we can get drugs into the clinic to be able to help patients I think it would go a long way into improving their quality of life and being able to help them face those other challenges that they're going to be experiencing because it's obviously a, a really difficult and vulnerable time in their lives and I think it's important for them to understand that there are people that are trying to help and there are people that are doing the research and doing the background work to get to the the real issue to try and rectify that. You must be looking forward to doing clinical trials in humans where you can ask them questions. It would be really exciting because you can't ask a mouse a question. You can. You can, you just won't get an answer. (laughs) Um, But I think that would be really important to hear the testimonials of patients that are experiencing these types of things and the patients that are involved in the clinical trials at the moment is, is so important and is so key to us being able to ask the right questions and target the right things. There are other encouraging results too, Rachel. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important that we're seeing that we can elicit behavioural changes in the mice. and So that really suggests that some of the the things that we're targeting are having beneficial effects. And that's really important to see because it means that these particular pathways that we've identified are actually really critical. And it means that if we can continue to target those, if it's with drugs or if it's with different models, we can really 
further understand the biology and then confirm that that is really the pathway that we should be targeting. And it's important to recognize, you know, in science that there's sometimes there's things that work and give you a positive result. And there's other times things that will show you that something is not the right way to be doing it. And so sometimes that's what we've come across targeting a particular pathway. And that's really informative because it can tell us, well, actually, no, that drug that we might be using, we should be using something else or we should be using something in combination. <laughs> Such a positive attitude. I know lots of scientists do experiments that don't go anywhere and that's very frustrating yes, and sad, but it's a great attitude. And if you'd like to know any more about Rachel Adams and her work with Associate Professor Kelly McDonald. It's extraordinary research and you can find out more at qimrberghofer.edu.au. Thank you so much and good luck, Rachel. Thank you so much.